searching for Canada's best startups. The Pitch Please Podcast. Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Give us your best pitch. Pitch Please. Three, two, one. Connecting with Canada's startups to learn about their business and the amazing people behind them. Follow along and hear some of the most interesting ideas in startups from across Canada. What's up, everybody? It's Mike. We're back here on the Pitch Please podcast. Today, I've got Akshay from AView. Uh, they're a content management platform for creators and enterprises looking to monetize media with international audiences. I'm excited to learn more about what they do. I'm also excited to learn more about the amazing entrepreneurial history here of Akshay. But let's start with a quick introduction about yourself, Akshay. Tell us a little bit about your role at AVU and a bit of your background that kind of got you to where you are today. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate the opportunity and happy to dig a little deeper into the backstory. It's a pretty unique one because this entire journey for myself didn't really start with this idea of business. It actually started with the idea of let's go to med school with a train of decisions, which I'm sure we're going to get into later on, things really diverted quite quickly. But all of this really began in around grade 11. So I was 16, 17 years old, myself and my co-founder, Garnet, who actually lives just a few houses down from me. We grew up in a very small town called Ancaster, just outside of Hamilton. We did everything together from playing sports to watching content creators together to hanging out on the weekends. It was just we just best buds. And that started, that relationship between us two started actually in kindergarten. So even before this entire high school journey. So he came to me one day and said, you know what? I want to start a company around the content creator space. And I said to him, let's do it. Like, I give me a break from this, like science. Give me a break from this chemistry, biology. Give me something fun to do. But I had absolutely no idea what business was. I had no idea what accounting was, no idea what any of that world was. All I saw was, okay, I like to buy a, bought a bunch of products from businesses. Maybe I can make some money. Who knows? And with that hunch, we decided to dig a little deeper into the markets that we love. In this case, the creator economy. We were just coming off of this huge wave of Vine creators who had just transitioned over to YouTube. People like the Deep Dobricks, people like the Logan, the Jake Paul individuals like this. And I said, what happens if we work with them? Why can't we work with them? And so based off this hunch, we started this very, very simple subtitling service. Let's subtitle content for our favorite content creators, people that we watch, and just start providing with those, providing them with this very simple opportunity. And we created a very cringy website, even looking back at it today, overly professional with all these guys with suit and ties. And it was just not, not the greatest. We, the company at the time was called Web Translators International, and it looked like some scam company. It was really funny. But we started sending out DMs to them. We started mailing them like a one pager and brochures, pamphlets, flyers, anything. Then we realized, okay, maybe what if we just sent them an email? But we thought, okay, let's send them an email. Sent them an email. Next thing you know, we're on a phone call with Logan Paul. Logan loves what we're doing and says, you know what? I want, I want to do this. I want to try this out with you guys. So I was sitting in a room right across my house here in my bedroom, just thinking, what the heck is going on right now? I'm on the phone with this guy 
who wants to actually use our services, we do three videos for free. Next thing you know it, we've been working with him for about four, four and a half years now, ever since, and been taking him globally along with many others. But, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's just the high level. That's, that's the beginning of it all. That was, that was the starting point. Dude, this is a wild story. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to rewind. I'm trying to like pick this apart yeah. because there's parts I want to learn about and I'm trying to figure out and I don't want to miss them. Okay. So you started, you live in Ancaster, so you're actually pretty close to me. I'm in, I'm in oh, nice. okay. but you started down a path of like medical school and healthcare and sciences. Uh, did you finish that track, by the way? Like, did you go down that track all the way? Or like this pivotal moment of hanging out with your buddy from <laughs> kindergarten completely shook shit up and was a disruptive change moment in your That life. was exactly it. So university applications had just rolled around. I, I look at my brother. My brother went down the medical side, went down the science side. My family comes from this very academic, heavy focus. Everything is academics. So, so you like if I roll back pre grade eleven, there's zero, zero friggin' chance you were gonna end up at zero. Like literally, I was working at a neuroscience lab at McMaster University doing RNA research and Alzheimer's research, extracting like parts of these these mice and then breaking it down and then sending it off for experiments. That's that was my life. That was what I was doing every day. Okay, and so your friend came to you like, let's do some stuff. Yeah. And you were doing a hard pivot then. You guys started exploring first. Yeah. I'm guessing that this like hard break in your path started happening when you started gaining momentum, right? So like before there, you're probably still considering both, mm -hmm. but like that was like a that was the pendulum even for you was Jake that's Paul. It. Yeah. <laughs> These guys. All even right. to the very, very end. I remember I was sitting in English class and at the time my high school was going over some renovations. And so our English class was sitting in the auditorium. So here we are, class about 20 in this IB class. My teacher is sitting at the front and I, I raise my hand and I tell the teacher, I don't know what to do. I'm between this idea of business. I had applied to one business school and this idea of science because that's, that's everything I knew. That was my comfort zone. That was my safe place. And he just said to me, just go. Literally go for a walk and think about it and think about where you see yourself. And I, I feel like I think back to that moment and that honestly was one of the biggest deciding factors in understanding what do I actually want to do? Not the plan that my family wants me to do completely, not the plan that potentially the community wanted me to do, not the plan that my friends wanted me to do, but what do I genuinely want to do? That, that was the start. And content was that, right? Like, it sounds like that was a passion point regardless. So you started like ideating where are the gaps in content? That was it. And at that moment, the gap was transcription? Translations. Translations, right? Anything. Translation. Subtitling. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So that guy, you started in entrepreneurship. Obviously, sounds like it scaled up pretty quickly. And... I forget the name. Yeah, that gave you, web, it's like web translators international. <laughs> yeah, okay. Like, sounds like something from a movie. Yeah, literally. Like, totally from like a like some parody movie. Yep. You're not called no, that anymore. No. Now you're Aview. And how far departed? We're going to talk about what your idea is now. But how far departed from what you were doing 
Web Translators International to AVU. Like, how much have you evolved and how long is that timeline? Yeah. yeah. You know, from the evolution of it, I think the only reason why it's become what it is today is because the market has evolved. The pain points that we've discovered initially is truly no longer the, way, the pain point that we have today. And I'll get into to that a little bit more in detail, but long story short, we're realizing that it's not a lack of subtitling. It's not a lack of translations anymore. That was a 2017 problem. The lack of what's, what's affecting the market right now is a lack of monetization globally. That's what's the problem. I can dub and translate as many videos as I want and post them on an English YouTube channel. You think those are, those, that piece of content is going to tr track anyone? Probably not. But now what if I told you I can post that in the region that you're trying to target, targeting brands that are operating within that region, targeting advertisers, targeting and building a new community of viewers within that particular area. That's what a view is today. Interesting. So there was a long gap, worked on it for two years in high school. We're doing like, but we're, we were having a ball with this. I mean, we're like grade 11, grade 12 students doing six figures a year in revenue. Just, just chilling. I mean, having a great time. We were. Like I was working on the company during school for most most of the day because dude, this is literally a movie. Like you're like two <laughs> like like young kids making six figures a year at Web <laughs> Translations International. Like this is a movie. It was it was definitely you know looking back at it. I mean it it, it was it feels like something else. In the evenings, both myself and Garnet played high level hockey to we. Go to school. We work on the business throughout school. Then we come home, play hockey, get some work done at who knows what time for, for school. And then wake up again in the morning and just repeat. And that was our life for two years. And then university rolled around. And I got into my science schools. I got into to Queens for business. And I had no idea what to do. I was writing my IV exams. My parents drove to Kingston while I was writing my exams, took a tour of the place, and my mom was like, you know what, dear, this is the, this is the best school you got to go. You got to check this place out. This is amazing. My dad, on the other hand, was like, I don't know about this whole business world. I think, you know, you go to McMaster, you go down the science path. And I was caught in this, in this crossroads. And it really, really like affected everything I did. I didn't know direction. I didn't know where, where to go. I didn't know what to do. But then just on this hunch of I can always come back to this love of science but this opportunity of business may bring me somewhere else. Let's, let's give this thing a try. I went to business school. And that's where, that's where that whole journey begins. But well, I want to, I want to talk about that because like you, you made it sound relatively easy as you've described it in a few words, we've kind of picked this path, mm -hmm. but when you're young and in university and, you no, know, maybe people want to even finish and circle back. Yeah. But like, how were, what was the, like, the thoughts going through your head and how you were sort of like weighing the pros, cons of that decision? You obviously said you can come mm -hmm. back to this. And you still went down a path. You just changed it to a business path versus a science path. And I know some people that have done that. What were like, what were the most challenging bits of that decision? And obviously, you know, your family has an influence on that. And I'm sure there's some very supportive of the path you've chosen now. <laughs> yeah. But you know, like what, what's like advice to someone that's there? It might be they're in university, yeah. but like sometimes this isn't just like the, this is like a leave your career type decision as mm -hmm. well, right? There's like emotional aspects to it and 
you're, you're, you're thinking about it, you're doubting yourself, you're trying to figure out if it's going to work. Like, what were you going through? And, and what were some of the things that you would maybe impart onto others? As, you know what? The more I think about it, I, I, I think about this here and there as well, because I'm a type of person where I look back at the journey I've had and I think about the decisions that were made. And, and I think to myself, if that decision had just slightly changed, I don't know where I probably wouldn't be here today. And when I think back to everything that's happened, especially that crossroads, I'll be honest, I just decided to do what I felt was best for myself. I think we get so caught up, especially in high school, making that next transition, that next stage of that life, so much focused on impressing others, so much focused in on being afraid of taking on the next challenge, being afraid of stepping outside of that comfort zone. But I thought to myself, what's the worst that could potentially happen? What is the worst that can happen? And when I thought about it that, in that way, I said, the worst that could potentially happen is I leave Queens and I come back to Mac and I do my undergraduate here back at home. And I was okay with that worst case scenario. I was prepared for that worst case scenario. I was ready for that worst case scenario. And I think that mindset helped me decide and take on that risk. And I was very cognizant of the fact that my peer group was all at home. My family was all at home. Everything I knew was at home. Yet, why not? Right? If there's a time to try something, there's a time to do something different. It's now. And I didn't go into business school thinking I was going to become an entrepreneur. I went into business school thinking maybe I'll work at a big bank. Maybe I'll work as a consultant. And I mean, that transition was, was horrible. I mean, that first year of university was the lowest point of my life. I mean, it was by far one of the most challenging experiences I've ever had. And I wanted to get out of there so quickly. And I realized that I was trying to conform myself to the standard of what the university wanted me to do. And I was so focused in on pleasing other people, so focused in on trying to fit in where I forgot who I was. I forgot what I liked. I forgot what I enjoyed to do in life. And so that summer, things really changed quite substantially. I went back to university for my second and truly final year of school, full-time school, uh, with this new kind of head on my shoulders and realizing I can't live in this mindset of fear that I'm not going to impress everyone. That's when I decided to kind of go back to that same mindset I had when I made that initial decision. So it was definitely quite, quite the journey from that perspective and something that taught me a lot about myself at the end of the day. I like how you summed up two elements that really stood out to me. The first was this element of what's going to make you happy, which I, that one's not as revolutionary. Like yeah. People talk about that, but I think it's the act of actually sitting down to think through that. But the other is actually making that list of like, what is the worst case alternative? Mm -hmm. And for yours, it was time, really. There's an element of time that you're going to have to double back on. And you probably quantified it. Like, I don't know, what are you going to lose? One, two years of time. Mm -hmm. And you're pretty early. Like, you just won. Congratulations. <laughs> That's actually how we came to get here. A young entrepreneur of the year Thank award you. from League of Innovators, LOI, which means you're under 30 years old and you're killing it. Appreciate which, it. Man, sounds like you've had an amazing story. 
But I think that's the piece you you weighed. You weighed like how much time am I really risking here? And you uh, want to go do some great things. Well, let, let's talk about those great things because it sounds like that's obviously some element of the foundation that helped you win this this top <laughs> young entrepreneur of the year award. But before we dive into that, the show's called Pitch, please. So Akshay, let's hear your best pitch. Of course, please. of course. So co-founded a company called Aview International. At Aview, we help content creators in large media organizations monetize their content to new international audiences. What we found is a lot of content creators are unable to tap into over 70% of the entire social media space, leaving essentially millions of dollars of unanswered views and monetization revenue on the table. We come in here and we built out a platform that streamlines the entire phase from content creation all the way down to the distribution of that content from the transcription, translation, voice over dubbing in your own voice, as well as censoring any culturally insignificant items within that transcript as well. So if I'm trying to post a piece of content in say India or the Middle East or in Japan or Korea, there are certain things that may not translate properly. We'll censor those to make sure that you don't quote unquote cancel yourself in those international markets. And then we'll even go as far as managing that content to engage with your community, to make sure that the community is being built to monetize that community. So being able to do all of this pretty much bootstrap, we've just uh, almost have class closed, have closed our, our fundraising round. So we're, we're kind of wrapping that up right now, which we're really, really excited about to continue to grow. We've completed the Creative Destruction Labs program. We were one of four companies that graduated that uh, in June, and we had just graduated Techstars about a month ago. Wow, congrats, heavy hitters. I wanna unpack this more. So let's start with talking about the industry. Obviously content creation, there's tons of scenarios here. Can you talk to me a little bit about like the categories of services or solutions that exist servicing content creators that we can start to formalize where you fit into that, that yeah so if you look at the creator economy and the opportunities within it you can kind of divide it up into three buckets so the and the reason why i i, I did so much research into this is because prior to even a view i wanted to become a manager of content creators i wanted to have this trifecta of of opportunities under it so that's kind of what, what i'll get into so number one is opportunities from a talent management perspective. So as a manager, what are the tools that you need to provide good service offerings for your talent roster? So if you look at a company like Viral Nation right now, massive, massive talent management company, they're really killing it, right? You look at Night Media and what they're doing with Mr. Beast. These are organizations that have really redefined what it is to be a talent manager. They're building their own tools in-house to service these content creators from a financial perspective, from a monetization perspective, from a content creation perspective. So that's kind of bucket number one. Right now, if you look at the other side, you have the creators themselves, right? So the creators themselves, the tools that creators need in order to create content that performs well, create content that conforms to what they believe in as values, as missions, as beliefs. And so, I mean, that, that industry of itself, we're seeing anyone and everyone become a content creator. We're seeing people wake up in the morning with a couple hundred thousand views on TikTok realizing, oh, this is a picture of me doing work. Why are people watching this, right? And so you're seeing this huge rise of new creator culture. And then you have the third avenue, which most people are, focusing a lot of time on, which is that brand and sponsorship opportunity side. 
that's what's funding a lot of these opportunities. That's, in essence, why they're called influencers. It's because they can take their influence, they can monetize, say, a brand deal, an advertisement, whatever it might be, and share it with the masses. And we're seeing more creators and more brands put in more money to the creator economy than they were putting into traditional media. Because now I can literally see that engagement. I can track that metric. I can see the conversions literally in it. In a way, I believe that the creator economy is the next major celebrity push. I think a lot of these individuals have already been able to break into it. I mean, we just saw with Aiden Ross and XQC getting paid more than LeBron James. I mean, in what world would we ever have imagined that, right? And so we're seeing these things that are just unbelievable. And I think we're going to start getting to a point where that money is going to continuously grow within this market as well. That's cool. So where, where across those three mm-hmm. does AVU fit in or is it across a couple of those? Because, you know, you talked about the fact that you're helping people monetize in other markets. And so is that like a management capability? Mm-hmm. Is that like a content creator capability? Is that a brand sponsorship capability? Help, help us understand where AVU fits in across those three. So when I look at the AVU, I, I want to say we're, we're kind of the, a union of, of the three. And, and the reason why I look at it from that perspective is because in essence, we're a content management tool. Right, we're, we're a tool that managers, major talent management organizations can literally just integrate directly into their, their platform. And we can power that entire international expansion. And the reason why it taps into the other two is because we get those international brand deals for the creators. I mean, it's already hard enough to get now English, North American brand deals. But now imagine trying to speak the language and negotiate uh, to a, a customer or brand deal and Latin America, right? Brazilian, Portuguese, or in, in Spanish, or in Hindi, whatever it might be. And so we're able to do that. We're able to facilitate that conversation, get that brand deal to actually happen. And at the end of the day, as much as we're a talent you know, content management platform, we're here to help the creators expand. And that kind of is a true a union of, of why I believe we're in the, we're in the three. Um, but I mean, as the company evolves, I can see us kind of more so emphasizing the push on the brand deal side and of course on the talent management side because that's where all the creators are funneling into it. Got it. So let's talk about the creators for a bit here. It sounds like it's for famous people. (laughs) Maybe it's not. Like what's the spectrum of what types of, whether they be creators for certain channels like YouTube Mm -hmm. or podcasts or TikToks, like what, distribution channels of creators do you support and what's sort of like the right size of who would even use a solution like yeah when we first started the company we did a lot of research into you know who are the creators that best fit this demographic of international expansion we learned a few things is number one your creators need to have around a hundred thousand average views per video on youtube Right. That's that's really that sweet spot. If they're coming off of TikTok, if they're coming off of Instagram, if they're coming off of Facebook, I mean, that's great. But YouTube, we have found that YouTube has one of the more loyal audiences, audiences that are willing to buy in, audiences that are willing to be part of that community. We're seeing that also with streaming platforms like Kick. We're seeing that with YouTube, the streaming side, the live side. We're seeing that with Twitch. And so that's another kind of angle that we're looking at it. But when we initially started this company, We also didn't expect it to be so versatile. I mean, sure, there's a social media play to this, but there's also a major ed tech play to this. 
And so we're now starting to tap into Udemy courses, Skillshare courses, Kajabi courses, starting to build into courses where people are sharing knowledge in some capacity, but that knowledge is so centralized to one domestic market. What if I told you you can learn from one of the best software engineers from India? Or what if I told you you can learn quantum mechanics from someone in Argentina, right? Like it's education is so widespread. We're now able to solve their pain point as well. And that's just the beauty, the versatility with our platform. And so that's, that's really where we see it. We see that corporate arm of that ed tech space of organizations that want to share their message. But then we also see this huge, huge creator market that we're also able to push into. And it really becomes a bit of a no-brainer, especially for both sides, because you're literally getting this huge return for the matter of not much in, in, in front. It's interesting. Talk me through a little bit about how it works. <laughs> Obviously, you've kind of said there's there's a, an amount of momentum of relevance that that it's not really worth it if you've got, you know, a thousand or three thousand views a video. You sort of need like some amount of momentum in market. That's it. To have relevance in other international markets. That's a little bit different on the courses bit because it sounds like that's a slightly different mm -hmm. space. But talk to me a little bit about how it works. If, yeah. You know, say one day the Pitch Please podcast starts ripping over 100,000 views of video. I got to get videos on YouTube <laughs> first instead of just being audio. But let, let's say we yeah. fast forward to there. Um, what's, what's the process look like? How does this work? What does the content creator mm -hmm. do versus not do? What do you carry on? Talk us. When we first started this, we were so obsessed with this idea of optionality. Optionality being, let's give them a hundred options, as many options as possible, and let them decide what they want. Have you ever been to a restaurant where there's like four pages of, of meals you can decide from? And it's like, I came in craving this, but now I have no idea what I want to eat. That's the problem that we found with a lot of these companies. That's the problem that we found with a lot of companies appealing to the creator economy. And so when we were just about to deploy our first version one of this platform. I looked at my engineer, I looked at my designer, said, I don't like any of this. I, I, this, doesn't, this doesn't work. This doesn't make sense. And we literally restarted the entire flow process to where it is today, where creators now, they come onto our platform, they log in or they sign up. They can sign up with Google or they can get like a unique email. And then they literally integrate their social media channels from YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, whatever channels they're, they're using, and they select the regions of the world that they want to target. So if I want to target North America, I can see Quebecois French. I can see English. I can see Latin American Spanish. If I want to target Europe, I can see the languages there. If I want to target Asia, I can see all the languages there. And they literally just have to select the regions of the world. That's it. Automatically, we will create all of the new international channels using their profile picture, using their thumbnails, using their descriptions, using their about pages instantaneously. So now you have all your channels already made for you in and centrally exactly managed. in the region of the world that you want that content relevant in. We can even get down to the dialect of the region you want to target. So for instance, we had a customer come to us and say, I want my content done in the African French, African French. I said, okay, we'll make it happen. And that's what we did. So we were able to pinpoint it down to the regions that were able to target that language. Once they complete that, 
they literally like Chrissy to dashboard. They come onto our dashboard. They see all of the videos they've uploaded, everything. All they need to do, select the content, click next, and everything is in a toggle switch. They just, if they want to target that region, they can toggle it, click next, and that's done. So I have a, I have a really stupid, maybe yeah. naive question. As a content creator, like as best practice, say I have English content and I have a, a YouTube mm -hmm. channel. So technically, is it a best practice to create a separate YouTube channel and have separated views rather than the snowball effect? Or is there like some hierarchy that's me on my main page, but these separated out pages mm -hmm. for my YouTube channel and other regions? Like, how does that work? Because I imagine if you, you know, you're YouTube famous, you have a hundred thousand subscribers in one mm -hmm. channel, are you going to then manage a second channel or is there a bridging and where and how does your platform fit into that for anyone that's not like used to have this stuff? Yeah. Works? Yeah. No, really good question. Our goal is to create the new international channels for you. And the reason why we believe that is the best solution is because you're not mixing communities. You're not mixing cultures. The content that's going to be featured on your Spanish channel will, will appeal by the title, the description, the thumbnail, the metadata that is relevant to that audience versus a piece of content on a North American channel, like American channel or Canadian channel, where we're seeing a particular thumbnail, we're seeing a particular title, we're seeing things that get me excited to want to watch this video. But how am I able to get on the trending page in Canada with a Spanish title? Unlikely, right? And so we're able to build up that new international community. But then the second and quite frankly, the most important reason why we do this is because one video posted to one channel, I get one brand deal. Now that one video posted to five different channels, I can now get five additional brand deals, five new sponsorships. I now get ad revenue that's coming in from multiple sources. And for us, sure, it may not be the same amount of views you are going to get on your main channel from the get-go, but give it six months and you're going to be building up a new community of traction. You can now do collaborations with individuals in that international setting. So you're essentially just That's duplicating cool. your persona, but now laying it out in all these new international markets for you to grow. So now the ongoing management mm -hmm. of that, is that an element of where you fit Take in? care of like, all of that. I just have to focus on uploading to my central yep. page. And it will cascade to all the other markets as part of a service. That's literally it. That's your... literally it. And to the, even to the point where at the end of every month, we do a profit sharing. So whatever money comes into a view, a percentage of it goes back to the creators. Percentage goes back to the creators. So as a creator, you're not only benefiting off of yourself, but it's a community of creators, right? We're all able to win collectively. And that's one of the biggest things that we've been wanting to do. I love it. So tell me about where you actually make the money in that? Is this like a monthly service, is annual mm -hmm. service? Is it based on views? How, how does that? Yeah. Work? So there's a few different models that we have in place. We have some that are sent out for individual creators. We also have some that are set up for the talent management companies. So talent management companies, if they want to onboard all of their creators, we essentially license out our platform here. And that's like a viral. Nation, that'll be like, like a viral nation style of a, of a customer. Yeah. So we give them access to our entire platform. They can onboard all their creators. And they'll pay us per create a monthly monthly fee and then what we like to do is we like to align our success the creator success so as soon as rev revenue comes in for those international channels and starts to overtake what 
they would typically be paying us in, in monthly rates. We completely get rid of the monthly fee and we just go right to RevShare. So now we're incentivized as well to keep that channel running. We're incentivized as well to get those brand deals to continuously come on, right? We have that alignment of success. Now on an individual creator level, to get things started, we charge like a small monthly fee just to get the channel going, get the channels made, make sure that we're able to put some money into the channel as well to get the flywheel running. And then similarly, as soon as the channel starts making revenue, waive all those fees and go right to a revenue share. So now we'll only take revenue share on the international channels that we take care of. We don't touch the main channel. We don't take any of, the, any of that revenue at all. As long as the main international channels are growing, we're happy. The creator's happy. You all make a ton of money at the end of the day. That's the goal. That's cool. I love that you're like, you've aligned the goals, not only in the way where you transition from a monthly payment to a rev share, because it will benefit you too. It helps you exactly. grow. Um, but the piece where as you grow, there's a profit share back to all of your customers. So there's like this community feel to, to the work that you're doing, which is, which is quite impressive. Now you don't have to name them, but is there competitors in this space? Like how does this, yeah. how does this pan out and where do you see yourself sort of making, you've obviously got a first mover advantage, but you know, are there competitors starting to light up here and, and what do you see as sort of your unique differentiator? So we're seeing a lot of competitors come up with this just evolution and rise of AI, right? With any market, we're seeing dubbing companies popping up, we're seeing translation companies popping up. And for us, as much as I see them as competitors, I also see them as a big compliment because we're building a lot of our tools in-house. And it just means that we're making ways in AI where we can continuously better our own system, which is what we're trying to do at the end of the day. But a lot of these companies are focused in on making money and not solving the problem, which is fundamentally what we're not trying to do. The money will come as we solve the problem. And that's what's ingrained in our mindset is we solve the pain point for these creators, which is the lack of monetization, and we're able to, to grow the company. What these other organizations are focused too much in on is let's dub content, let's send it back to the creator and let them have, pay us whatever amount of money per month for that. That doesn't actually solve anything because giving Logan Paul a dubbed video in Hindi is not going to solve his problems. But growing a community, uploading that content for him, managing that content, interacting with the fans, as well as finding brand deals, that is what's going to bring him money. Yeah, he just doesn't have the time. Like you've also taken this exactly. time element off my hands. You're like, man, I'm a content creator. I want to create content. I don't want to focus on managing 25,000 different channels of where I have to go create that content. So you've outsourced that bit. Basically, you, you've outsourced the international market for people that have single channel, but very successful um, content creation, which is which is super impressive. Is, is AI, I mean, obviously from when you started to where we are now, you were deep in the thick of it. So AI, you would have had access to this, but obviously it's more democratized now. Is this helping you um, accelerate yeah. faster or are all your models built custom anyway? <laughs> so it hasn't really accelerated. Yeah, things. you know what? So, so it's it's funny. We're building this big tech company and both myself and my co-founder are not right? I mean, I never did anything of, I mean, <laughs> hearing about my backstory, right? There was no CS, nothing like that. I sure as hell weren't marketers with the web names you were coming <laughs> exactly. up with. In fact, even our previous company before of you, right? I mean, we had a big technical team uh, supporting us and like a lot of tech stuff going on. And so I, I got very familiar with the whole AI space. I got very familiar, very comfortable with 
sure, I may not be able to write a line of code, but I can, at a high level, conceptually understand how these are moving, how it's working, and what we need to do as a company. And I mean, given a lot of our systems are are now being built in house, it it doesn't really bother us too much. In fact, I think what we're we're likely going to do is just allow creators, allow companies just to use our own tools. Right? If, if they don't want the whole distribution, they just want to use our dubbing software, go go for it. They want to use just our translation software, go for it. They want to use our subtitling software, go for it. Right now we're just, that's that next step, right? It's just giving them that tool set. I mean, even on the... Yeah, so yeah. it's like buying the software, buying the managed service, depending exactly. on who you are and how much you want to put in. And so it's just a compliment, right, to, to what we're doing at the end of the day. I mean, we have to build them out at, 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 eventually. Might as well monetize it. That's cool. What um, what about this journey has sort of been your favorite part? The most memorable experience in, in that? I, I don't know if it was maybe naming web translation <laughs> translators international or... There's something else, but like, what's, what's sort of like the standout moment that, uh, that is a highlight for you? So I think the, the biggest kind of eye-opener experience, the experience that I think about a lot is the failure that we had with our company between web translators and a view. Uh, it was about during the pandemic and it was the first time I realized that employees are people that rely on this company for everything they do. I realized that we were dealing with a lot more stakeholders than we anticipated. I realized that our impact was more important than anything else. That money can be made, but how you make that money is critical. That was the mindset and that learning experience really shaped a lot of the decisions we make today. Realizing that there's very easy ways to take advantage of people, really easy ways to make money in a dishonest manner. And I think that learning helped me shape how we make money today, helped me shape the relationships I have with our customers, make me shape the relationship we have with our suppliers, with our investors. And if it wasn't for that, I feel like I don't know if we would have the success that we have today out of you, right? Because it's very easy to to run for that dollar sign and forget about everything else in that path. But I think, you know, that entire journey of going up, feeling like we were a million bucks and then hitting rock bottom and closing down the company. I had to say that was probably the most rewarding, tough journey, but definitely the one that brought the most amount of insight into everything I do today. Comeback story. Mm -hmm. That's it. I love it. So maybe it's maybe it's paired with that but like what was sort of the the low light or the biggest you know challenge that you had to overcome maybe it was that one or maybe it's just like what was like the like you know there's always these stories that talk about the success and we talked about your awards <laughs> we talked about logan paul everything sounds like it's like bomb diggity yeah. but like there's got to be some challenges along the way. And I think it's about having an honest conversation with other people considering entrepreneurship. What, what's that moment for you? You have to believe in yourself more than anyone else in the world. If you can trust yourself and put all the chips in the world on yourself, I feel like you'll have a lot of success. I lost that touch. I lost the ability to trust myself. I lost the ability to believe in myself. I quite frankly lost who I was during this journey. And I thought that 
this was over. I thought that this was just a dream. I thought that nothing I do would result to any type of success. And it it was a really devastating low point in my life. I'm a big, big MMA fan. I love the UFC. And Kamaru Usman had just retained his title. And he would grab the mic from Joe Rogan and he said, the reason why I am the best in the world is not because I'm the strongest, but because of my mindset, because of his mentality. And I think about that moment so often, so frequently, that if you have the strongest mindset, if you have a mindset that is impenetrable, there is nothing that can defeat you. There's nothing that can take you down. There's no mountain that can't be climbed. There's no task that can't be solved. And I forgot that. But I think about that moment and I think about that downfall. And if it wasn't for that downfall, I don't think I would ever have that same mindset. And that's a mindset that I wake up every morning with. I can conquer this day. No one is going to rain on this day. No one is going to ruin what I have going. Having that full self-belief is where I think really shaped the success of where I am today and the success of where we're headed as a company as well. It's a great perspective. Let's actually do that. Let's double down on that. So where are you headed? What's the next year ahead look like for any of you? So I think the, the, next, the next year is going to consist of onboarding as many creators that we can potentially provide a value to. Talent management companies, content creators, brands, really start that journey of scalability. We have the foundation built. We have the prospects there. We have the relationships available. Now it's time to start that scale. Now it's time to really exponentially grow and prove this model out. That's, that's, our, that's our focus is how can we every single day increase the amount of customers that are on this platform, increase the amount of views that we're generating for our, for our content creators, increase the amount of communities built, increase the amount of voices amplified. That's our, that's our horizon. That's our goal. From there, the next few years after that is how do we now scale this opportunity to now become the primary distribution software for all things global, all things international. But before we can get there, getting this under our belt, making sure that we're able to scale effectively over the next year, I believe is the next goal. That's impressive. As part of that journey, are there any aspects or things that AVU is looking for help from the community, help from others? Like if there's someone out there that's listening that, you know, has the, hey, I want to help. <laughs> um, what, what's sort of that help that you're looking for as part of this next 12 month journey to scale? Up? You know, Mike, when you, when you mentioned, you know, winning that award and, and how I'm under 30. So I, I just turned 23 um, in, in September. And so as a young entrepreneur, I want to absorb as much knowledge as possible. I want to be able to take in as much information as possible. I want to be able to, if someone said, what's the create, I can answer that. I can provide detail, I can provide insight. And so what we're looking for is broken down to three, three categories. And I say this to all of our investors, I say this to every mentor, I say it to really anyone. Number one is people who understand the creator economy. I am always trying to learn more. I'm always trying to get in front of more creators, not even from a selling perspective, but just from a recognition of, I want to hear your story. I want to hear your challenges. I want to hear what gets you up in the morning, what keeps you up at night. So creators, people who understand the creator economy. Number two is with the tech side. 
I mean, the world of AI is evolving. The world of Web3 is evolving. Is there a position that we can take in this so we are one of the earlier adopters into this process? So that's that, that's that second piece is how can we learn from a technology standpoint if what we're doing is the most efficient manner, if there's other things we should be considering, so on and so forth. And the third thing to me is more of a personal goal. And myself, my co-founders are quite aligned on this. It doesn't involve money, it doesn't involve company, it involves just building my entrepreneurial acumen. As a young entrepreneur, how can I be a better person? How can I create more impact? How can I do better overall? What are lists, priorities? How can I organize my day? How can I time manage in a more efficient manner? How can I break up my, my day into different chunks? Whatever it might be. How can I become a better entrepreneur from that standpoint? Listening to other founders, founders that have gone through this journey, founders that have succeeded, founders that maybe thought to themselves, I don't know if I can do this. I, I want to hear that story. I want to be able to learn from it. So those are the three main things that I'm looking for, I would say. I like the well-roundedness of it. I think it's like noble. And I mean, if I can help in any way, there's, I'm not, I'm not too uh, important on the creator front, but maybe one day, but there's a couple of people that I know that would probably even be the right size to even take advantage of, of aviation. Um, I mean, actually cu curious question. Hundred, just over a hundred thousand subs on YouTube. Is that like you said a hundred thousand views per video? But if you got a hundred thousand subs, I'm generating like is that in the right. I'd range? say a hundred thousand subs, like ballpark anywhere between twenty to thirty thousand views a video. Is that rough? Roughly. So I mean, it's not. It's it's definitely not bad. Right. I, we can definitely work with that. So what we did, and I didn't really focus too much on this, is for creators that are up and coming. So creators that are growing relatively quickly. Creators that are. Uh, growing very fast on YouTube, we provide a lot of just editing work for them as well. Because we have a technology built oh. out, we can help you increase that, that subscriber rate initially. Because if we believe that this is the next big creator, we're going to put the resources in right away to help yeah, grow yeah, that yeah. channel. So then we can help with the international expansion side. So it's something that we have available. It's more of a very selective thing because we work very closely with that creator to help them give them some capital to even help grow that channel globally, help them grow that channel in the domestic market. And That's cool. Well, at a minimum, maybe the three of us can go grab a copy. We'll do it. You'll at least pick his brain. Maybe it will make sense for him. Maybe it That'll won't. Be fun. Either way, he's a cool dude and he lives local to oh. us and we can go for a fun coffee and coffee and drive. Awesome. Um, it's actually a car channel. Oh, sweet. Okay. He's obviously got a, he's obviously got a cool car. I love that. Um, I love that. Since so do I, but we can go have some fun <laughs> with that. Um, where can people find out more? And we'll link everything in the description. But if people want to find out more to either sign up because they are of the right magnitude to leverage AVU or they just want to maybe invest or whatever else mm -hmm. you need, where should people go? Yeah, so you can check me out. Like LinkedIn is great. I, I'm very pretty trying to get more active on that. I try to keep my community involved in updates as frequently as possible as to what we're doing next, what we're building for the company side. If you want to check out the website of uint.com, there's a waitlist page. You can sign up. You can get started. We are proving pretty quickly on getting that flow going. Outside of that, we're also increasing our social media presence very, very quickly. So I'm actually thinking about creating some content myself. And so whether that's through live streams, through short form content, whatever that might be. So you'll catch that on to the of you YouTube channel or even my 
own socials on LinkedIn or Instagram or whatnot. That's cool. Super cool. Well, your website's obviously way better than Web Translators <laughs> International. I wouldn't even so. show you the Rob, Web Translator Rob. website. It's so bad. It's I made it on Wix and the picture of the About Us page is myself, my co-founder, at a grade 12 prom. That's that's the photo of us. You know what? It just it just proves that it's actually about what you're solving and can you bring value. Exactly. It's not about how it looks sometimes. So that's I mean it, it helps. helps, it helps a little bit. Too, exactly. <laughs> um any, any parting words for our audience, thoughts? You know, you've shared a ton of great insights and value tonight that I'm sure many people are going to find interesting, whether they're considering a, a career pivot, uh, an educational pivot, you know, creating the right mindset, bouncing back from failures. You talked about a whole range of stuff and you're doing amazing work. Any final parting thoughts or words for people listening? The only thing I'll say is don't sweat the small stuff. I think I'm I'm one of the mass when I say that I get way too obsessed over certain things. And if it doesn't go that way, I get very upset and I kind of bring myself down very quickly. It's not worth it. Life goes on. Things keep moving forward. As long as you're able to pick yourself back up and, and keep that ball rolling, that's all that matters at the end of the day. And as long as you're able to have that positive mindset and mindset that's unpenetrable, you're aligned for a lot of success. So I'll just I'll leave it at that. I love it. Well, thanks again, Akshay, for coming. Congrats again. On that award, I can't wait to follow along. I'm sure there's going to be many others in your future at 23. You guys are killing it. Thanks, everybody who tuned into the Pitch Please podcast. If you are of that level of magnitude and popularity, A, maybe you should come on the show. B, you should check out AVU. But if not, you should hopefully take a few lessons away from this podcast and make sure to tune into the next one. So have a great one. Thanks for tuning in to Pitch Please. You've been listening to the Pitch Please Podcast. Pitch Please. Pitch Please. Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Tune in for regular episodes and show notes at pitchplease.ca. And make sure to give us a follow on your favorite podcast platform. Pitch Please, a Bluemex podcast is hosted by Michael Thibodeau and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more Pitch Please content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.